Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you so much. I want to just do a little brief introduction on who I think I am, because um, pretty much like what Tim said, when we landed here back from Kansas City and we moved back to Delaware, we found this church rather quickly, and um, and quickly I found myself downstairs. So there's some people, especially if you don't have children or your children are older, you don't know me very well because pretty much I've been downstairs for the last three years. So I want to just introduce myself a little bit. Um, and really it's because I want to dispel maybe a lie that you think that Deborah, well, Deborah's called to children's ministry. This is her thing. This is what she's good at. So listen to it with an ear of this is who I was and this is who I am now. Okay, when I became a mom, it was very challenging. Okay, it's very challenging to be a mom. I have five children. We've been married for almost 20 years. And um, in our old church, if I got signed up to do nursery duty, I would be like, man, I'm with nursery kids all week long. How can I do this? And I would sit in the room, and oftentimes they'd be like, can you put in a VeggieTale movie? And I'd be like, sure. And then I'd sit on the couch, watch them play. That's what I did. That's what nursery looked like. That's what it was. That's what I did. If I got asked to do Sunday school, I would take the curriculum. I would read exactly what the curriculum said, and I would just do what it did. That's what doing Sunday school was. That's who I was in church. And in 2008, God really encountered my heart um, through a good friend. Her name's Robin Sturgeon. And she asked me one day to become, she asked me to be the intercessor of House of Hope, which is the residential teen um, facility that was here in Bridgeville for a season. And I said, sure. I had no idea what an intercessor was and what they did or what it looked like. And the Holy Spirit took me on a journey and she ended up calling me one time. She's good at calling me up and saying, hey, you want to go here? And she's like, hey, you want to go to Atlanta to this Jesus conference? I'm like, sure. So we go to Atlanta, and we went to the International House of Pray- Prayer in Atlanta in 2008. And I went in to this prayer room. That's They're praying and worshiping 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I just started crying, and I felt in my spirit that I was home. And so as soon as I went home, I told Matt, I said, we are moving somewhere where there's an international house of prayer because that's where I need to live to breathe. And he was like, no. I'm like, okay. Holy Spirit said, Deborah, just shut up and let me move on your husband. And over time, in 2009, Matt's like, you know what? We're putting our house on the market and we're going to move to Kansas City. And I'm like, sweet. I knew it was coming. But I had to wait. It took a long time for our house to sell. And in 2000, January 12th of 2011, we landed in Kansas City. Matt quit his job. We had no job lined up in Kansas City. This was a huge thing for Matthew. Quitting his job. He had never just quit his job and not had anything lined up. He had a wife and five children. You know, it's a huge thing. And he, he knew that the Lord was calling us there. And so we go there, and I did the internship with my children 
at the International House of Prayer, and, which is amazing because while I'm in classes, my kids were in classes. So it wasn't just a, well, we'll babysit your kids while you're in class so you don't have to worry about them. No, they were in classes being trained and being brought up in the house of the Lord just like I was. Um, so, of course, like after internships, there's a bunch of recruiting going on because there's like 85 different places in IHOP that you can get hooked up into to work. And so everybody's recruiting. And so I, when you're an intern, you have to work in the children's ministry because they want you to have a taste of that. So everybody as an intern has to take cycles of working with the children. So I loved it. I just like being with the kids. I like the staff. So I worked with the children. And then at the end of my six months of interning, I was also recruited by the internship program. They wanted me to be a core leader. So, of course, I'm like all filled up with, I've been under this for six months. I'm so excited. I'm finally going to be released into working. So I'm saying yes to children, and I'm saying yes to being a core leader, which was huge because it's a massive amount of time. So I did both for three months. I was um, worked in the internship. I had my group of interns So I got to do life group with them. I got to help them through um, like sozo type things because there's always a lot of junk that has to be dealt with when you first come in. Um, You're in the prayer room um, 20, 24 hours a week. You're in the prayer room and you're serving like 24 hours a week. So I was doing that and I loved both. I was feeling so fulfilled and loving the children but I was also loving being with adults, and I was loving what, the, what God was doing in me. But I knew I couldn't do both because it was just insane. It was like 60 hours a week that I was working. And God said very clearly, he says, I want you to give up intro, in the internship, and I want you to work with children. So I said, okay, I'm yours. I'm here to do what you want. So I began working with the children, and I... I mostly worked with three- to five-year-olds when I was in at the International House of Prayer. I also worked with one- and two-year-olds because you know what? You can actually work with one- and two-year-olds more than veggie tales or letting them play with toys. I worked with six- to 12-year-olds mostly during conferences, like they have the One Thing Conference, the Israel Mandate Conference. So anytime there was a conference, when there's a conference for adults, there's always something for the kids more than babysitting. They're going to be taught, like if it's the Israel mandate, the kids are going to be taught about Israel in the classes. So I worked with, from 1 to 12-year-olds mostly. I did camps. I did a lot of things with children, and I loved it. And when God told us to move back to Delaware, it was very hard. Like we were excited to come back to family and be closer to family and things, but Part of me was like, Lord, Delaware was so hard for me spiritually. Like, it was hard ground. When, when you were stirring me up, people wanted to push me down. And they're like, you're too on fire. We need to throw some water on her. Like, those were things that I was hearing at times before I went to the International House of Prayer. And then when you're there, you're in this culture of, ooh, fire. Let's stand next to the fire. Let's see if we get more fire. And so there was a culture of um, the iron sharpening iron. And... If you're more on fire, well, I want to be up there with you. Or, oh, you're back there. Hey, you need to come up here. It was a constant pushing and pulling of each other and bringing your comrades along with you. 
So that's getting to be a little bit of a tangent there, so I'm going to stop that. So anyways, I got plugged into children's ministry, and I worked under Lenny LaGuardia, who's amazing. He's done children for 30 years. Um, And he used to say this all the time, that all people are called to some capacity to children's ministry. It's not just for the few. It's not just for some people. And so what is our mission here at Gateway? To be disciples and to make disciples. Okay, being a disciple and making a disciple isn't, oh, I'm 40, so I'm going to go find a 40-year-old and make that 40-year-old a disciple. No, we have a whole slew of children that need to be made disciples. That's our mission here. This is a mandate that has, God has given this church. They don't say we're, we're, um, our mission is to plant churches and see the kingdom furthered. That might be a church mandate. That's what they might go after. A church mandate might be we're after Israel. We're going to be on the wall. We're going to be praying. Our mission is, but no, Gateway says that we are going to make disciples. Who better to start making disciples than our own children? Than our own children. And children can be making disciples of other children. If they have the Holy Spirit, if they've said yes to God, if they said yes to kingdom living, they can start discipling others. They don't have to wait till they're 18. Here's your ID card. Here's your license. Here's your voter registration. Now go make disciples. No siree, Bob. It can be now. Our kids can be making disciples of other children. Okay? And this is a question I want you to answer, like I want to hear an answer, but I don't want to hear a Jesus answer. I want to hear whatever just comes out of your mouth, the first thought. What do you think children's ministry is? What do you think its purpose is? Why do we have children's ministry? To make them better adults. To have power to walk in their identity. Engages them at their level. Okay, that's good. Okay, children's ministry, I'm going to tell you what it's not, in my opinion. This is Deborah's opinion. It is not babysitting. Children's ministry is not babysitting. It is not mom and dad are so frazzled, they've had a busy week, and they need to get to church like they need air to breathe and they need their kids dropped off in nursery or downstairs so they can have their own time. That is not what children's ministry is for. That is not what children's ministry is for. Children's ministry is actually partnership with parents. Children's ministry is reinforcing what's been done at home all week long. That's where you're going to have the greatest effect with children's ministry. You think of foster care. You have your, those foster kids all week long. They go home to their birth parent one, one weekend or one night. And what do most foster parents say? Ay, ay, ay. Everything that I've been doing is undone. Okay? That's how a children's minister can feel at times. I can be like, we pressed in. These kids are going in their prayer caves. They're talking to God. They're seeing God move. They're going up and praying for people. And then they go home and there's nothing. It's being undone. It's not being reinforced. And it can be vice versa. You can have a home that has um, an altar built 
in the home. And there is worship going on in the home. There are parents that are fully engaging. It's a parent's job to engage their children. It's a parent's job to teach their children about God, not children ministers. We're to reinforce what the parents are doing at home. We are your backup. We are your enablers. We are your cheerleaders. We're the ones who want to help. Okay, you're having a blockage here with this child who won't do this at home. Tell me about it. Let's pray about it. Let's see what we can do. Let's see what we can see happen on Sundays and see if we can take it through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's what children's ministry is. Okay? This can happen at one-year-olds and two-year-olds. They are spiritual beings as well. We are not just all of a sudden one day, oh, age of accountability, now you're a spiritual being. Now you can get this information that I have for you. No, 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 no. They are born spirit, body and soul, just like we are as adults. We just start out small, okay? They do not have capacity to sit here for an hour and listen to somebody speak, but they have capacity. When you have a newborn baby, they have a tiny little stomach. And they take milk, and they have to take it often. Because they can only fit so much. They can't have a lot, but what they get is nutritious, and it holds them for a little while. And then you can feed them again. That's how I see nursery. You know, you, they can only take something. Maybe it's five minutes. Five minutes of worship. Let's worship our hearts out. Let's dance and jump around for Jesus for five minutes. You know what? Those one and two-year-olds can do it. And eventually they'll do it for 15 minutes. By the time they're three and they're moving downstairs, they're going to be able to do it for 15 minutes because their capacity has been enlarged. Their capacity is growing. They want more. And the same with prayer. You know, yeah, what kid is going to want to go to a prayer meeting for two hours and hear adults, blah, 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 you know? No. But you give them five-minute increments. You give them time to pray. Don't just make it about, well, I'm going to prayer meeting. I'm going to pray. No. If they're going with you, let them be engaged. Let them pray with you. Let them lead something. Does it have to be perfect? No. You know, there is so much power in 30-second prayers. There is so much power in just saying, help me, God. There is so much power in, Lord, let me be. Lord, give me grace. Those little prayers are huge. Simple prayers sometimes can be more powerful than wordy prayers. Children know how to pray simply. Let them do it. If they say the wrong word, oh, well, God knows what they're saying. He knows their heart. Same with worship. If you let kids lead worship, it might be a joyful noise. It might be something you don't like. It might not be your thing. But you know what? They're engaging in something. You're allowing their spirit man and their capacity to be built up in worship. You're allowing their spirit man and their capacity to be built up in prayer and being in the word. That's what we're after on Sundays. We're after stretching. We're after, okay, they're getting some filling at home. Now let's stretch it a little bit. Let's stretch it a little bit so they can have more, so they can take more home, so they can take more to school, so they can take more to their friends. All right, sorry, I needed a sip. All right, I see 
Downstairs, my picture for downstairs is I want to create a greenhouse. It's, it's an atmosphere. It's space. I want God to be always welcome in our space. I want the Holy Spirit to have full access to our greenhouse because it's in a greenhouse where the wind is blowing and all the elements are correct. Everything is right. That things grow really well. And they grow quicker and they grow steadier and they grow fuller. There's lots of research done on greenhouse stuff versus outside stuff. I don't know it all. I'm not getting into that. But I just see downstairs as a greenhouse. And so I just want to read in 1 Samuel. Um, Sometimes it's just good to read rather than try to summarize. 1 Samuel chapter 3, which obviously this is about Samuel. Most likely you know this story. Okay. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now, in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. How dare we want to be in a church or in a life where hearing the Lord and visions of the Lord is a rare thing? Do we want that? No, we do not want that. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly, the Lord called out to Samuel. So then we know the story. Samuel hears something. He knows he heard something. He knows he heard a voice. He doesn't doubt that he heard a voice. He just assumes it's Eli because he hasn't heard God's voice. Eli is just like, he's an adult who... The word of the Lord's been rare. I have no idea what you're hearing. You must just be, had not drank your warm milk before you went to bed. I don't know. Go back to bed. So the adult who is seasoned, living in the house of the Lord, doesn't know, doesn't recognize that he's hearing from the Lord. So he goes back and does it. And then finally, it takes like three times for Eli to be like, wait, something must be happening here. I think it's the Lord. So if you hear that voice again, say, here am I, Lord. And you know what? Samuel's very obedient, very faith-filled, and he does it. And the Lord speaks to him. And the Lord speaks to Samuel in a way that is true and tried. So every word that the Lord spoke to Samuel and the Samuel spoke when he was re- to, told to release it came true. He was not doubted. He ended up being one of the greatest prophets that Israel had seen. Okay? So... We don't want a culture or a greenhouse where the word of the Lord is rare. We don't break open the word. We don't know what is in this. This book is for our kids. This book is not just for those that can read. This book, you can, by the hearing of the word, things are produced. Faith is stirred. So how, how, how do we want children's ministry to not have our children hearing from the Lord? Having them engaged in, you know what, I want you to take some time, like just like you did today with communion. Do that with your children at home. If they're having a rough day, if they're having a meltdown, if you don't know what to do with them and you're up to here with them, You need time out with the Lord, and they need time out with the Lord. Don't try to fix everything. The Holy Spirit is the one that can heal. He's the one that can restore. He's the one that can help. He's the one that can comfort. He's the one that can fix. Start using those moments to have them go to the Lord. 
Ask the Lord, why are you having an attitude? What's going on? What's the root of this? Why are you angry at me? I didn't do anything. What's going on here? Use those principles. Use those things. They can be two. They can be five. They can be 10. They can be 15. They can be 18. You can use these things. You can talk to them. Let them start going to the Lord. Let them start finding things. Let, have them, don't even tell them where things are in the Bible. Say, is there somewhere in the Bible that says da 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 da? Where is it? Have them look for things. Have them seek things out. You're giving them opportunity to engage. You're giving them opportunity to take accountability. You're giving them enlargement. You're giving them capacity to go after the things of God. Okay, I am really behind time here. Okay, so we want, we want this generation to know God's voice. We want this generation to know God. We want children who are encouraged to go after wholeheartedness. So it's like what Tim was saying earlier today. American church has gotten to be very compartmentalized. Okay, I went to church, check. I sat here, check. I sang one song, check. I put money in the plate, check. I'm good till next week. No, that's not okay. Wholeheartedness is when God takes up your whole life. Everything you do is worship to him. When you're washing dishes, when you're praying for people, when you're working, when you work your marketplace job, you are building God's kingdom if you're connected and tethered to the Godhead. There's no place. He will go to the depths of hell if that's where you are. Psalm 139, he will go to the heights of the mountain if that's where you are. He's not going to leave you. So no matter where you are throughout your week, he's with you, and he is advancing his kingdom, and he wants you to advance his kingdom as well. And that includes parenting your children. That includes helping them build the kingdom. It's not all about what I can do. We're in this super parent culture thinking that we can make perfect kids, or we, if we do this enough that we can do this and that. No. It's all striving. It's all vanity if it's not tethered to the Father's heart and to his kingdom and to his purposes and his plans. Okay, we want to make disciples that walk on the Sermon of the Mount lifestyle. The Sermon on the Mount is normal Christian living. The Sermon on the Mount is for the 5-year-old. It's for the 10-year-old. It's for the 40-year-old. It's for anyone who says, I want you. I want to know you. I want to follow you. I'm coming after you. That's who the Sermon on the Mount is for. So blessed are the poor. Those that know that they need God, that's what we want our children to know. You know what? I can't fix you. I can't give you everything you want. Life is not fair. But you know who is fair? Jesus. He's justice. There's no wrong in him. There's no wrong in him. He will make all wrong things right. So our kids need to know him. They need to know the Sermon on the Mount. They need to know how to be merciful. They need to know how to be humble. They need to know how to thirst and hunger for righteousness and the things of God. They need to know how to be peacemakers. They need to know how to bless their enemy in the midst of persecution. When they're in school, when they're in sports, when they're in whatever. Again, we don't just say, oh, I'm in sports. Jesus is on the back burner. No, he wants to play with you. He wants to run with you. He wants to be in every moment that you have with him. He enjoys being with you. He enjoys you enjoying things that you enjoy. He does. If our kids can get that, if we can get that, we wouldn't come in these doors. That's another Sunday. 
Let me just sit down here. Sit through. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. My goodness. God is alive. He is alive. He is alive. We should be rejoicing. When we go through our week, growing in him, knowing him, praying with him, intimacy with him, training our children in him, training our own hearts in him, discipleship, loving, loving others, putting ourselves under and over other people and all that we do, we should be coming in so full of God on Sundays that this roof explodes. That worship can't be contained by what's up here. Okay? Our kids don't need to see their parents bored during worship. Our kids do not need to see parents not engaged in the word. They don't need that. It's not helpful. We, this is an atmosphere, whether we see it or not. We create an atmosphere in Gateway. We bring an atmosphere when we come to church. We shift the atmosphere for good or for bad based on the junk or lack of junk we bring to church on Sunday. And you know what? Kids are very good watchers. They know truth. They know realness. You can't, un, you can't fake it with kids most of the time. So how can we say, man, I wish my kids would be more mature, and then we're sitting there not reading our Bible, not worshiping, not engaged with whoever's up here. You know what? The worship team practices. They hear from the Lord. They're trying to bring you, you know, worship really takes place throughout the week, for one thing. It's not just about singing, but it's also, you can be in the worship service on the sea of glass with those angels crying, holy, holy, holy. You can put yourself there every Sunday, especially if you've been doing that at home. If you worship God at home through singing, through song, through prayer, through doing chores in the house with a happy heart, that's worship. If we worship God throughout the week, we're going to come in here and worship God with fullness and with power and with life because we all are flowing in that sap. We're all flowing in what we have, what we've had for the week. We're not coming in as dry, dried up branches, dried up twigs like, I need some worship because it's been a rough week. Okay, there is something about corporateness. It's awesome to worship corporately, but corporate worship is affected by private worship. Corporate prayer is affected by private prayer. So we can't separate our week from our Sunday. We can't separate, oh, well, they're children and they don't understand. No, If they have said yes to Jesus, if they say they're disciples of Jesus, then they're full-on Christians. They're full-on believers of Jesus. They're full-on. They can do anything. When I was in Turkey last year, well, 2015 now, I'm going back in April, there was a girl, I don't remember what country her parents are missionaries in, but she couldn't talk very well. And she actually should have been like in the 6 to 12 
five, five-year-olds or something group, but she was in our like 36-month group because she just didn't have the capacity of her age group. So they put her in our class. She was a very difficult child. She's a child that, of course, the six-year-olds were like, Phew, glad they got her. And we took her. We had her. We're like, nope, we'll take her. We sing this simple song, and I have a terrible voice, but I'm going to do it just for the sake of doing it. But we do, look who Jesus loves. Look who Jesus loves. Jesus loves Caitlin. And you do this in nursery, you see eyes light up. You see something in the spirit man come on. Well, we did this for five days with this little girl. And the last day, look who Jesus loves. Look who Jesus loves. She said her name, pointed to herself. She hadn't spoken her name. Her parents hadn't heard her voice say a word. They were undone. Now, we could have just babysat that child. We could have just said, she's tough. Let's just give her toys. We'll just do our own thing over here with them and keep her over there. No, we invite her in, just like he does us. That girl was touched. That girl was moved. And sometimes I just want to share a couple little testimonies just because I know as an adult, sometimes our faith is stifled. Sometimes we forget the things of God. Maybe it's been a long time since you've had a very personal encounter with God and you don't remember or you don't think things could be true when somebody says, da-da-da-da. Well, I have kids, my children... That, you know, in their season at the International House of Prayer, they had many encounters with the Lord. And some of them were so like, oh my word. Like one child had an encounter where she felt like she was inside a womb. She was in the womb. She was not the baby, but there was a baby in the womb. And the baby was being aborted. And my child felt the pain of that abortion. And that child of mine was marked on that day for the ending of abortion and the working with orphans. Because it's just not one thing. There's another side to it too. If we're not going to abort babies, then people need to adopt babies. So she is marked forevermore. Now as a parent, with my logical mind, I could have said, what? I don't think God would have taken this eight-year-old into a womb. I could have doubted. I could have been like Eli being like, go back to bed. I don't know what's going on with you. Maybe you had a pizza dream. No. We need to take what our kids say seriously. They can encounter God in even deeper ways because of that childlike faith. Because they have less walls. They have less hindrances. They have less distrust. They have less disbelief. And so they have encounters. I have another child of mine who was taken to heaven and saw the amazingness of heaven and then taken to hell. That child was marked with souls. He does not want to see a person die who does not know Jesus. He has marked with an evangelist spirit because he saw the pain and the reality and the suffering of being. It's not because it's hot. It's not because it's dark. It's because you're eternally separated from the Father. And he can feel that pain way more than I can. 
sometimes I, he's like, I need to go talk to that person over there and see if they know Jesus. I'm like, you go right ahead. I'll stay over here and pray. Because I just have my weirdness because I'm not marked with that intensity. I was marked with visions with intercession. I'm an intercessor. So some of the visions that God gave me clearly marked me as an intercessor and gave me tools and weapons to know how to fight when I pray. Those are what visions and what encounters do. They mark you in a way that nobody can shake you. Nobody can tell you, oh, no, that's not real. This one child knows that abortion's real. He knows, she knows the suffering. She knows that it's murder. She knows that it breaks the father's heart. The other child knows how grieved the father's heart is when somebody's lost. We cannot come to church just to feel good. We cannot come to church just to have our kids have a social life. This is, be, this is life and death. That's every, every instance in our day today, our decisions is always life and death. It's back to Deuteronomy. It's one or the other. You're always choosing life or you're always choosing death. You can't say there's a middle ground. So are you choosing life for your family? Are you building an altar in your home? Where worship, you know what altars were? Altars were set when they encountered God. They're like, whew, there was a ladder here and there was angels going up and down. Oh my goodness, this place is a place of encounter. I'm going to build an altar here. You want places of encounter in your car. Places of encounter in your workplace. Places of encounter in your home. Your garage, where you work. Because when you have that John 15, vine tapping thing going on, being tethered to the Father. No matter where you are or what you're going through, you're going to be able to encounter him. You're going to be able to feel him. It might not always be the ooey-gooey, ooh, I'm lost in worship. Like for me, like Nikki Gonzalez says, worship doesn't do as much for her. I love worship. We're all wired different. There's different things, but we we need to enlarge our capacity for things. In our own man, in our own inner man, and in our children's. If you say there's no way my children can sit through altar time at home for an hour, you're thinking too big so far. Start with five minutes. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. God puts these encouragements in the Bible because we're so lost without them. Start something with five minutes. If your kids are wired for worship, go after worship. If they're wired to hear Bible stories, go after Bible stories. If they're wired for hands-on, go find people to pray for. Go pray for healing. Go, Go to Code Purple and feed the homeless. Do things. Do things with your kids. Don't lose this opportunity to stretch them. This is a time kids are very easily stretchable. They can be very easily stretchable for the enemy's work or they can be very easily stretchable for God's work. You as parents, and I would also say we are all called. I feel like God's bride, God's people, God's body is multi-generational, multicultural. Malachi 4.6 says that the spirit of Elijah comes to Bring back the father's heart to the children and the children's hearts to the father. That's all of our jobs. We're all interconnected. We have the father's heart. We might have a mother's heart. We might be grandparents. We might be aunts and uncles. We might be single and said, oh, this isn't for me. Oh, yes, it is. 
Find somebody who needs mentoring. Find somebody who needs encouragement. We come in here throughout the week, and we've been with the Lord throughout the week. Our kids have been with the Lord. They're going to find people to encourage. They're going to find people to pray for. They're going to find time to build up this atmosphere and holiness. It's something to go after. Um, Yes. Yes. You're forgiven. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to, I'll just end with a couple little pointers. We want our children to be ready. Okay, they're not going to be ready at 18 if they've never seen mom and dad sing a song during worship. They're not going to be ready if you're at home during the week and you don't open your Bible. It even makes a difference if they see you reading your Bible. That makes a difference. Even if you're not bringing them into it, you can invite them in if they say no. You might be at a season with a child that you're like, okay, if they say no, just let them go. But they know what you're doing. You can't expect your children, now God can blow up that, but you can't expect your children to do more than what you're not doing or what you're doing. Okay? Now, in that, too, children are children. They're not mature. There's going to be times where they fart on you and they laugh, and you're like, okay, okay, we're here, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and we're doing this game here, and, you know, you lose the whole room, and you got to rein them back in. You know, that happens. You're working with children. But another encouraging thing was the boy with the fish and loaves. He was ready. He had this little offering. This one little boy. I don't think it's by chance that it was a boy. A little boy. Had the offering. It wasn't a 40-year-old mom who's all prepared with her little diaper bag. It's like, we're going to go hear the prophet speak today and we got our stuff ready. No, it's this little boy who's ready. And when they said, does anybody have anything? He was bold. He wasn't ashamed of his little offering. He brought it up to the disciples. And the disciples were a little scoffy. Jesus took that. Thanked it, fed over 5,000 people, and there was leftovers. That's what can be done with children. There's a girl with um, <clears throat> Naaman who tells her master to go see Elisha. She was bold. Here she's like a slave girl. They're not, they're not at peace with the nation that Elisha's from. And she says, you know who you need to see? You want to be healed of that leprosy? You need to go see Elisha. She knew where the encounter was. She knew who had power. She had eyes of faith. She had eyes to see. Don't discount what your kids are saying. Samuel, we talked about. I also like Jesus in Luke 2.52. I'm just going to read it because the Bible is always better than me. It says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Jesus had to grow up. 
He was fully God, but he was also fully man. I think if his brothers passed gas, he might have passed gas. I don't know. You know, he had to grow up. He grew in wisdom and in stature. So just like our kids, they have to grow in wisdom. We have to give them opportunity to grow. We can't just expect, oh, well, now they're grown. They're 18, and you haven't built an altar. You haven't helped engage your kids. You're not praying for your kids. You're not interceding on their behalf. Those things are what help grow in wisdom and in stature. As parents, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles, as siblings, we need to fight for one another. We need to help each other out. We need to go after the single moms, the single dads, and say, what do you need? Is there anything you need? Aunts and uncles can speak huge into their nieces and nephews' life. Grandparents are huge. God's church, God's bride, is multi-generational. It isn't just Oh, well, you're young, you can take over Sunday school. Oh, well, you're young, you can do that. No, there's something for you. If there's breath in your life, there's something for you to do, and it's not about the building. It's about these people that are spiritual. The only thing we can take to heaven are souls. We cannot take anything to heaven but souls. Every person you see is either going to spend eternity with Jesus or they're going to spend eternity separated from him. That's what it comes down to. Children's ministry is about unleashing an army that people might say, that looks like a pile of dry bones. I don't feel like changing dirty diapers. I don't want kids spit on me. I don't want to clean up that mess. That doesn't seem very glorious. That doesn't seem very worthy. Bet you if Jesus was here, he would do it. He would be downstairs. He'd be helping me out. It's something we have to go after. Now, in each season, we all have a mandate of what we're to be doing, an assignment of what we're to be doing. So what is, you need to ask God what your assignment is to make disciples and to be a disciple. What is my assignment to be a disciple? What do I need to do in my life to be a disciple? Challenge your kids. Ask them. And then, okay, how do I make a disciple? Who do I go after? Does God highlight a certain person? Is there a certain thing you're supposed to do? Is it Code Purple? Is it Shift Destiny? Is it children's ministry? Is it an after-school thing? Is it going to GMS and praying over the school? I don't know. But there's a mandate. There's an assignment. If you have breath in your life and you say you love Jesus and you are after him, there's going to be something he will give you to do to build his kingdom, to build this church. Because right now you're saying you're tied to this space. These faces are our friends, our comrades. We need to fight for one another. We need to fight for our children. We need to work together. And again, we're not going to have the corporate mm, that we want if we're not doing the private. And that all comes down to you, 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 me. That's individual. If you feel like church is lacking, Sundays is lacking, children's ministry is lacking, nursery is lacking, whatever's lacking, there's probably something in you that's lacking. 
We have to take time to pursue him. And we have to carve out time to help our kids to start pursuing him. Without a ball and chain, without a whip, without a, you're going to do this or else. No, we need to just make the space. Because God is pursuing our children. He is after them. And if you continually make space, you continually build an altar, things will happen. It might take time, but it will happen. I'm going to end with that. So I guess I'll pray. Okay. I have so many questions about the how, how to build, how to create the space without the whip. But I'm like, we got to have you back. Yes. So if you can stand, if you're able to, go ahead and I'll just close this out with prayer. Lord, we love you. Lord, we just declare right now that you're worth it. You're worth our energy. You're worth the time. You're worth effort. You're worth diligence. You're worth pursuing. You are a good, good father. Jesus, you are a good, good friend. And Holy Spirit, you go with us wherever we go. You empower us. Lord, I pray for parents in this room, grandparents, aunts and uncles, those that have any sphere of influence with children, Lord, that you would begin to whisper what their assignment is, what they're to do, how they're to do it. Lord, I pray for us as a church, God, that you would breathe afresh on us what it means to be a disciple and to make disciples, that we wouldn't just have one picture in our mind of what that looks like, but Lord, we know that you're a big God, that you blow away blow our minds. You blow apart our little boxes that we've put you in and our little checks. So Lord, I ask that you would blow our minds today on what it is to be a disciple and what it is to make a disciple. Lord, I ask that you would blow our minds today on the capacity that our children can have for you. Lord, I ask that you blow our minds on how we can go after you in wholeheartedness at home, at work, in fun times. You are a fun, fun God. You enjoy being with us. You love it when we come to you in the midst of our play and in the midst of our work and in the midst of our pain. You love it. So, Lord, I ask that you would just freshly blow a fresh wind upon our hearts to run wholeheartedly after you and to help those that are in our sphere of influence to run wholeheartedly after you, God. Lord, we want chambers of encounter in our cars. We want chambers of encounters in our homes. We want chambers of encounters in our inner man. We want to be connected and tethered to the Godhead throughout the day, throughout the night. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy to do these things that you call us to do. Lord, I thank you that you do speak, that your voice is not rare, that everyone can hear you. Lord, and we just bless you, we praise you, we worship you. And Lord, I ask that you bless each person here, each family here as they go out. Lord, breathe upon them through the week. I pray for fresh vision for each family, that they would have fresh vision for what your assignment and what your calling is for each family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed.